Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff. Uh, hello, online folks. Welcome. Glad you guys are able to join us online. We're really glad that you're here. And um, we are in, uh, at the very end of our John series. And so there's the big question. Like, with Easter, we've led up to Easter. We talked in, uh, about John 15 forever. We've been nine months off and on. We were in the book of John studying about following Jesus. And now the question is, so what now? So what now? Like, the Easter's kind of like, whoa, this was the story, and now we're at what now? And that's exactly what John chapter 21 is about, because now the tomb is empty. And I love this photo of the, uh, oh, so turn to John 21. That's what I want to get at, by the way. You're going to want you uh, in the Bible today. Well, I don't, I don't have um, all the scriptures on the screen, because we're going to actually read the whole chapter together this morning. So this is kind of Bible study. That's why the lights are up. So love to have you have your Bible. I need a page number for John 21 in the, in the Bibles that are in the seats. 1088. Thank you, Walter. 1088. So 1088, this is the beginning of the, of the text. So here's the deal. The tomb is empty. And it's so interesting that in John, that the way that the author wrote the book, that uh, you've got the, the story of the rest and crucifixion, and then the resurrection, and then the revealing, Jesus revealing himself to uh, groups of his disciples and to individuals. You have all this going on in John 20. And then he's got this sort of benediction in John 20 that says, uh, there's so many things that we could have said about what Jesus did. Remember the end of John 20? We used it as a benediction for a while. These are, but these ones were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing we might have life in his name. It's sort of like, boom, big period. Like Jesus rose from the dead. We hope you believe and we hope you have life. And then John 21. And I like it because if we're going to, in fact, study this whole life of Jesus, land on this place of, all right, so the tomb is empty. Like, what now? What do we do now? It is awesome that John actually anticipated that and put this last chapter in the book. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to study this together this morning. And so uh, hopefully you've all got your Bibles out in front of you. We're going to read the texts, and we're going to talk about what now? What now? Now that we've celebrated the story of Jesus, now that we've gotten all the way to the end, now that we know that the tomb is empty and that Jesus defeated death, what are we going to do now? And so uh, we'll, we'll um, get some um, insights from the scriptures in John 21. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of this. Oops. I want you to think of this. I want you to think of... Um, as we read this first half, I'll start with the first half. I'm going to give you two things that I think are kind of what now is about, about uh, from this text. But I want you to be asking yourself, why, why would John share that story? Why would John share this story and this thing when we're now empty tomb, kind of all feeling like the, uh, what now? So as I read through it, I'm going to ask some of you guys to respond, okay, to be like, all right, like, that's interesting. What now? Ooh, it's interesting that he said this. It's interesting that he said this. Also, by the way, if you have some questions about the text, that'd be your time to ask the questions. A little interaction. You ready? And online community, you guys can join in with us. You can uh, um, ask each other questions and interact on the, on the text thread. And I'll also repeat things that people say in here so that you can hear their shares. Okay, here we go. John 21. Everybody there? Afterward, Jesus again uh, appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. I just love this. I just love this. I love the fact that John 
caps the whole story. Jesus rose from the dead. This, we tell you this so that you would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Like, this is real, y'all. Show enough. Show is. That's, if you don't get the inside joke, you got to watch Easter, all right? Um, Danny taught us a little Southernism. So, but this is real. The tomb is empty. Here we go. And he goes, oh, now I'm going to tell you a fishing story. By the way, when did it happen? Afterward. Oh, who said that? That is the best. Did you say that, Pauline? Afterward. We don't know when it happened exactly, but it was after, okay? It was after these other stories, and it was before the ascension. The ascension was when Jesus went back to be with the Father. His time on earth was done. That was 40 days after the resurrection. So this is somewhere you see in the other stories leading up to this. The other stories happened a week or eight days right after the resurrection. Then somewhere afterward, this happened, and they were in Galilee. And these disciples, he goes, this is how it happened. These disciples um, were uh, by the Sea of Galilee, which means they left Jerusalem, went up there, kind of getting on with their, with their life, it looks like. All right, here we go. So these, it happened this, this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. Don't you love that two guys just got bottom billing? Just two other dudes. So there were seven of the disciples. It seems like they're probably the Galilean disciples because they're back up there with their fishing business. Verse three, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your boat, your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the author, said to Peter, by the way, don't you love that? Then that's like us showing up and going, you know I'm his favorite, right? Like, he loves you. <laughs> this is a very, he's very aware of his tender relationship with Jesus. So then, so then John, where, where am I? Okay, the, the seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards not far from shore. That's a long ways to swim with your big old robe on too, by the way. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and with, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't that a great story? This is only halfway through. Okay, why? Why with the empty tomb? Why when we're asking, uh, okay, this is an amazing story. What now? What do we do? Why would he begin to share that story? Any insights, any, you know, kind of things you find interesting in this first half of the chapter? Any Questions it raises for you. Yeah. Because the Bible likes fish metaphors. Because the Bible likes fish metaphors. Why is that? All right, Peyton. Thanks for just raising the question without any help. You're only... Yeah, that's right. Why? Yeah. Jim? 
All right, he's it, very concrete. Jim just said, he's given us an example of how we got to still go out and make a living. These guys were fishermen. Good, okay. What else? Yeah. It's also a repeat of when he had done it earlier when they first met him. It's a repeat of when they had done it earlier when he first met him. Hello, Bible scholar. That is awesome, Denise. Luke chapter five, look it up. It's, he called his first disciples, met them. They said, hey, how's the fishing going? They're like, not. And then he goes, all right, why don't you try doing it this way? And then they caught so many fish that their boats were sinking and the nets were torn. That's right. And so he's making a connection there. So there are fish stories, Peyton. And partly because at that story in Luke 5, and you got to go study it, he said, hey, from now on, after he called them, I'm going to do what? Do you remember? Make you, (gasps) you know this, fishers of men, which means it was the beginning of their call to mission, which is the fish story, which is that we're not just fishermen. We're out there to tell the whole world about the good news of Jesus. And so maybe in this story, in the now what? Like what now? He's reminding them of their original call to be fishers of men. Right? Oh, that's so good. Okay. Am I the only one that thinks that's good? That's so good. Yeah, Johnny. I just thought it was interesting that the first verse it says Jesus appeared again, meaning I assuming I'm assuming that he left and came back. And if I'm a disciple who just I saw Jesus die and then come back to life, I would not let him out of my sight again. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Not like being nervous of what what's what are you gonna do next? It's yes. Just, it's interesting that he So John just said that it's interesting that it says he appeared to them again, meaning why weren't they hanging on to him the whole time? If he rose from the dead, they were disciples. They would have never let him out of their sight, which is he chose not to do it that way, apparently. And so there's a sense in which if Jesus is showing up, we want to be there and pay attention to it. But yeah, great observation. Great observation for our own application. Like he's he's a risen Lord. This is a glorious Lord. Eventually, he's not going to bodily be here anymore. But what's it look like for me to never let him out of my sight? It's good, Johnny. All right. What else do you see in this text? What's the, what other, why is this in here? Yeah. Uh, he's not done doing wonders. He's not done doing he's wonders. He's something amazing, but he's like, there's more. I'm still going. The tower's still here. Good. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an example. She, she said, it's a, he said, I'm still doing wonders. There's more. There's miracles. Yeah. In fact, Here's the interesting thing about the comparison between the text in Luke 5 that Denise talked about and this other fishing story is in that story, they caught the catch was so big that the nets were torn. In this story, it specifically says the nets did not break. I think what he's going is, oh, now that I'm risen from the dead, the what now? Now that I'm risen from the dead, now that the tomb is empty, what now? The miracles, this interaction with Jesus, our fishing is going to be supernatural. There's a whole new element to walking with the risen Lord. Yeah, it's good. All right, any last ones? Any, any questions about this, this one about the, that came up? Annie? I just love what this gentleman said about, you know, you have to go out and make a living, and that's where you're going to find him. That's where you're going to find people. That's where he shows up. Yeah, you're going to go out and make a living. And he's, Jesus is going to be there. That's where people are. That's, our ministry is in our real life. Right? I love how both of you guys saw that in such a positive light. You may have come from a tradition when this text is preached that they'd go, was he rebuking them for being like, why are you guys fishing? Like, where are you? Aren't you supposed to be my disciples? I don't, there's no negative 
uh, implications in this, or intonations in this text, I don't think. Uh, he's, they're in Galilee. There's seven Galileans. They got families to feed. They got, you know, like, like, they, like they go up there to start fishing again. And so following Christ happens in our very real life. What now? Do your life. Follow Jesus. Miraculous things are going to happen. Provision's going to be made. And by the way, you're not just fishermen. You have a deeper, when you're out there fishing, you're actually fishing. You're bringing the love of Christ to the world. Good. Yeah, last thought. Yeah, Denise, and then Anthony. Then I find it interesting Anthony. that he talks about how they're having breakfast, where they had the Last Supper, it was dinner, and now he's having breaking bread with them and they're having breakfast. So it's like full circle. There's, there's, some, oh, there's some full circle. He had the Last Supper with them, and now they're having breakfast. I love it. And the Last Supper was very ritualistic, right? And it was pre-crucifixion pre, uh, and resurrection. And there's some piece here that there's clearly an allusion to it but having breakfast on the beach with his fellas feels very different, which I'm going to ch- talk about in a quick sec. I think there's something really good in that. All right, last thought. Anthony. Oh, I like how um, when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you. And then now he's in the boat. He sees Jesus on the beach. He doesn't think about it. He just jumps in, plunges in. Every time Peter sees Jesus, he just jumps in and starts Every time Peter sees Jesus, and I'm, and I'm repeating for our folks online, every time Jesus sees Peter, he, now he's just jumping in. Like he's ready to go. There's that passion with Jesus, and uh, there's, a, there's almost a sign of his growth along, along the way. Um, that's really good. And why he put on his coat, I, I just, I don't know that. Because they, they were fellas. They hung out for three. Like, you know how many times that Jesus probably saw Peter naked? Like they were like, they were like camping buddies. But there's something there. Somebody said, some commentator said, uh, greeting was a religious endeavor. When you greeted someone, you greeted all that God was doing in their story. You greeted all of the, of the God possession that they had. You, it was a godly moment. And he knew the risen Christ was worthy of such respect that he literally, even though there were buddies and he was all impassioned, he put on his coat to make sure that he wasn't inappropriately approaching the Lord. Yeah. It's good. All right. All right, Zorik, last one. I can't not have you go. I find it interesting that it says none of the disciples, they're asking, who are you? Like, they leave with him for three years. Like, different? Yeah. Yeah, good question. Did Jesus look differently? The disciples didn't dare ask him, are you the Lord? Because they knew he was the Lord. They knew he was the Lord because they remembered the first encounter with him on the beach. And they're like, he's redoing this in a way to make a point. But also, they had a spiritual sense of it, probably. John saw it first. We don't really know why the risen Lord looked different, but they'd already encountered the risen Lord a couple of times at least, right? And, uh, and so we don't know. He could have kept them from recognizing him at the beginning, or it could have been because it was early morning light, and they were 100 and something yards away from the beach, and the morning mist, and they, didn't, they couldn't tell that it, was, that it was Jesus. But good details. All right, here's what I want to get, give you. I'm going to give you two things before my time is over about like this, so what now idea? And the number one thing comes right out of this, and many of you guys got it, and it's this, that Jesus is demonstrating that he is gonna be our companion. There's something gritty and real about this, that the risen Lord is still going to be present in our journey, present in our fishing, both our fishing and our fishing. That Jesus is gonna be with us. He, when you read the text, why in the world is Jesus going, Let's have breakfast. 
Post-resurrection, the glorious encounters with the Lord, there should be something much more glorious and something much less everyday-ish to this story. But why would John put it in here? Because he's communicating that Jesus will be our companion. There, you can't get away from how familiar this encounter is and how much they loved one another, and we'll see that even more in the next section of it. It is very real, very gritty, very friendship. And the where I get that, you guys, is not just like, oh, that's sweet, Jesus is our companion. Listen, Jesus said in John 15, as a matter of fact, that we were studying. Jesus said in John 15, verse 15, he said, I no longer call you servants. Remember this? Instead, I call you friends. For a servant doesn't know his master's business, but everything I've learned from the Father I've passed on to you. There is a fellowship that's going on here. And Jesus is saying, post-resurrection, it's going to be the same. We're going to be companions. We're going to be in relationship with one another. And that's something that you can't get away from in terms of the humanness of this story. And not only that, but there's this idea of uh, the companionship being that my life in our walking together in life, it's going to be miraculous and glorious to your point. There's going to be miracles involved in it. And so when you're fishing, whether you're fishing or whether you're loving the world, every time you follow me, put the net over on this side, you guys. You didn't do it right because you didn't. Just listen to me. You don't even understand how it's all going to go yet. You do what you think you're going to do. Maybe it doesn't happen. I'm going to ask you to do some stuff, some of it crazy. And the results are going to be overwhelming, miraculous. And so the life that I'm going to bring, the companionship, is going to be miraculous. That's a call to us when we're post-Easter, post-resurrection. We're like, what now? That's all good news, good theology. Listen, what do you mean, what now? What now? The answer is we get to walk with Jesus, and that life is miraculous. And he invites us into that. Isn't that great stuff? Oh, I love this. And I do love that idea of Peter's passion in the whole thing that this encounter with Jesus, this companionship, it's interesting, the people who are at the lowest of lows, the people who knew the greatest love of God, in fact, somebody texted me that, that this week when I was encouraging them about something, they said, oh, they who have been forgiven much love much. And that's Peter. And that characterizes our companionship, that he's all in, and none of those people hesitated approaching Jesus. They ran to him, knowing that he'd welcome them in open arms, even if their rope was all wet and, uh, and Jesus was going to get sopped. All right, now let's do the second half of it. All right, so the first thing is, now what? Jesus demonstrates that he's going to be our companion. And think of that in the deepest, richest sense of our supernatural Lord walking with us. All right, let's look at, at um, the second part of it. Verse, uh, what is that, 15? So when they'd finished eating, so now they're having breakfast, Oh, by the way, did, did anybody notice in verse 10 that Jesus, he had breakfast going? He's like, I want you to come eat breakfast. But um, he goes, bring some of the fish you've caught. He's engaging Jesus, uh, Peter and the guys with what they bring to the table. That's a, na that's a nature of our companionship. He's like, you bring what you got to the table. 
He's supernaturally engaging it. He's supernaturally multiplying it, but he's like, you bring it. Doesn't that sound like when they went to feed the 5,000 and went to feed the 4,000? They're like, where are we going to feed all these people? He's like, what have you got? Remember? Jesus didn't invent the feeding of the four and 5,000 out of thin air. He's like, what do you got? And they're like, well, not very much, frankly. And he's like, mm, that is going to be enough. But there's a companionship thing there. Oh, I could preach on that all, all, all day long. All right, second half of it. So that's the first one. Jesus is demonstrating that he's going to be our companion post-resurrection. 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And remember, what do you see in this text? And why is this here post-resurrection? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I'm reading verse 15 again, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hand. Someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And this is... A, and Jesus, verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. But he's, he's saying, you're going to stretch out your hands and you're going you're to go through some hard stuff and ultimately die on the cross. He's indicating that, Jesus, that Peter would be crucified, which tradition tells us he was. And then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. That's the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, is, uh, who is going to betray you? He's identifying himself. John's identifying himself here. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Verse 21, and when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. All right, why? Why is this text in here? Why is this story in here, you guys? A couple observations before I wrap us up for the time. What do you think? What do you see in here? Why is this story in here? Yeah, Christine. Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And so Jesus is giving him the opportunity to be restored by asking him three times. Everybody was clear. That was a public thing that happened. Everybody knew about Jesus's three-time denial of Peter's three-time denial of Jesus, and Jesus is restoring Peter. So that is clearly one of the post-resurrection things. And if you generalize that, Jesus is going, look at no matter how you fail. I'm going to make a way. Why? Because the first point was, you're going to be my companion in this. Good. Restoration of Peter. Yeah. Other thoughts, questions, comments about this text? Yeah. It's very human nature. Very human nature that Peter's like, what about him? It was a very beautiful encounter. Peter cannot have missed that he three times was asked, do you love me? He was restored. Jesus is communicating these deep things. And then he goes, and him? What about that guy? Superhuman nature, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that in quick sec. What else do you see in this text? Yeah, Jim. I think it's really important is <clears throat> there's so many of us who at some time in our life have turned away from God that we know loves us. Okay, let me, let me repeat that for everybody online. And then you can finish what you were going to say. He said, every one of us at some time in our lives have turned away from the God who loves us. 
yeah. talked to them, talked to them, saw the miracles, and still denied them. Yeah, Peter knew, all, knew it all and still denied him, which we've all done. Yeah. And Christ has shown them there's forgiveness. And Christ shows them that there's forgiveness. You can never fall so far away. Peter, three times at Jesus' greatest point of need, denied even knowing him. And Jesus is like, we're going to make that right. Yeah, thanks for that testimony, Jim. All right. Zorik, one last one. Jesus is, yeah, that, what about him? I'm talking to you, you follow me. Jesus' relationship is with each person. It's not the same. And by the way, you don't get into heaven on somebody else's coattails, right? So what about you? Good. Listen, you guys, I'm, I'm probably already going to be late here, but I want to wrap up a couple things. I said there were two things that I wanted you to get out of this text. Thank you. By the way, well done. Good Bible study, everybody. I love that. Couldn't you do that all day? The first one was that, that Jesus demonstrating we're going to be companions in this supernatural relationship and life will come through me. Miracles, transformation, healing, life with me. That's the first thing in the first half. And the second thing that Jesus is, is why this is here post-resurrection, why John put it in here is that it is all about four important questions that need to be answered. There's four important questions in here that need to be answered. And they're easy for you to be able to identify. I'm sure you can see what they are. The first one is, do you love me? And the second one is, do you love me? Somebody guess what the third one is. Why is this the end of the story? Because of what Jim's sharing about our need for restoration. You can't far t fall too far away. Because the shame that we carry out of the ways in which we're not living up to God's perfect standard, we think then I've blown the whole deal. Jesus is reaffirming the truth of the gospel, which is that grace has flowed because of what he did on the cross. And separation from God, death, has been defeated by the resurrection. Why is this here post-resurrection? Because post-resurrection, there's there for now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so he's asking the question, do you love me? Because that's what matters. Not do you feel love for me? We all got various versions of warm fuzzies that come and go, and some of us are less fuzzier than others. I see some of you, I know. But do you give your heart to me? Do you value me? Will you want my life? Do you want to engage with me? That's do you love me? And so he's saying post-resurrection, what really matters here is in the end, will you in fact be my person? Will you give your heart to me? You may have known in this text that it was um, people, this text is really famous because it is fascinating. It's one of the few texts where the English is really rough to, to conceive of, the, of what the, what's going on in the Greek. That Peter said to, to, to um, uh, or Jesus said to Peter, he started and he said, Peter, do you love me? And the Greek word he used for love, some of your translations said, do you truly love me? Because it's one of the, the, the word that he used there is the word that we know of as agape. And it's, a, it's used of God all the time, and, and it's about a choice of will. It's about no matter what. It's like whatever we go through, God's love remains consistent. And Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? 
Do you love me? Will you love me no matter what? And the answer, of course, from Peter's story was apparently not. Because in my weakness, I broke down and couldn't go through all the way with dedicating myself fully to you. Now listen, remember that everything Jesus does is in love. Every conversation Jesus have, has is love. So we interpret this through this, the tenderness and the gentleness and the friendship, the holiness. But this is Jesus' love. He goes, so do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I, and he uses a different word. You know that I phileo you, which is another word that God uses. So it's a really good word. It's used for God too. It's like, you know, I'm attached to you. You know, I have affection for you. You know, my heart goes out to you. It's a beautiful word and it's positive. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter goes, you know, I phileo you because he can't lean fully into his restoration as Christine was. He can't, he's like, apparently not. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John. Oh, by the way, he said Simon, son of John. He didn't say, hey, Peter, the rock. He took him back to his old identity and he goes, so who are you going to be post-resurrection? Simon, son of John, do you agape me, Peter? I flail you, Lord, you know that. Jesus, second time. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And the third time, it says, the third time, Jesus asked him, listen now, Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you then? Do you find your heart's attachment to me? Do you find your affection to me? In other words, he's asking, do you love me the way you proclaim to love me? Will you bring all that you are, even though it's not perfect, divine love, see you through anything, never fail love? Will you phileo me? And Peter at this point said he was hurt because Jesus, you see it in the text? He was hurt because the third time Jesus asked him, do you phileo me? That's the only understanding of why he would be hurt because he's like, Jesus is like, do you agape me? Peter's like, not really, I, but I phileo you. Do you agape me? Not really, but I phileo you. Well, do you phileo me? And Peter was hurt that he had to get that, to that place. And he goes, and this is what he said, Lord, you, and by the way, he used a different word for the word no. He strengthened it right here. He didn't just say, you know the fact that I flail you. He said, that I can say yes to, that you have seen, that my life has showed in every day of my life. I've been passionate for you. I will attach myself to you. I know I'm not perfect, but I will bring everything I have to the table. Yes, this you know by experience that I phileo you, Lord. And he goes, then take care of my sheep. And he gave him his mission and restored him three times. Three times your failure, you're restored. So what do we do with all this? What's the, it's the fourth question. Jesus goes, essentially Jesus is asking, what about you? And that comes from that last part where he, Peter gets all, this thing all happens, and then he goes, well, and then what about John? Like, he's already sort of distracted. Lord, what about him? So Peter says, what about him? And in verse 22, Jesus essentially, if I'm rephrasing it, asks, um, no, what about you? Yeah, but what about him? Is that like, like this is my, like, what? And he goes, no, what about you? Essentially, will you follow me? And twice he says in that encounter, you follow me. You keep following me. You follow me. That's going to be John's story. Your story is, what about you? And he's already just demonstrated he's not expecting perfection. What he's expecting is attachment and affection. Stay tuned for next week's sermon, by the way. I can't wait.
And so I just ask as we leave John and we leave the whole Easter season and we go into the next post-resurrection time, I just ask you the question, what about you? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Not do you feel warm fuzzies all the time, but have you set your heart on knowing him? Have you set your will on learning his values and principles? Have you set your attention on hearing his leading and his call in your life? Have you set your affections on his beauty and his goodness? Do you love him? And at the end of the resurrection story, he goes, let's settle the issue. Let's settle it. Uh, Band, I want you guys to come out. Sorry, I forgot to have you come out here. Will you follow me, Jesus asks. And I don't, I don't, you guys, I don't want any of us to leave the room today. I don't want any of us to leave our Easter season. I don't want any of us to leave our study of John without settling the issue. What about me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The question is not there to make you convince him of some strength or some love that you don't have. The question is there to remind you that no matter what your limitations and no matter what your failures and no matter what your story, restoration and relationship is available. It's always a relationship of love. So if you haven't done that, friends, I'm gonna pray for us right now. Because this was written, John 20 said, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Savior and that by believing, you would have the life that he promises in his name. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, now's the perfect time. This is the day. This is the day. If you're not sure if that's ever happened, if you grew up with a religious background, you're like, I don't know, this is all new, the whole deal, love me fishing thing, I don't know. This is the moment he chose for you. And it's time for you to come home, your heart to come home into the heart of God. Maybe this prayer would help you. Let's, let's pray this prayer. Let me lead you. Jesus, I need you. I need your life and I need your love. And I'm coming to believe that you are the son of God. I believe that your death on the cross was for me to rescue me from sin and death and to restore me to the father. And in this very day, in this very real moment, I choose right now to surrender my life to you, to receive from you your love and your forgiveness and a restoration to a relationship with God. I turn from my sin, my self-determination, owning my own life, and I give my life to you. Come and take your rightful place in my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Live in me. I am yours from this day forward. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus, the Savior, I pray.